Hello and welcome to the second day of the All Energy Conference here at the SEC in Glasgow. I'm Hamish Penman, a digital journalist with Energy Voice, and I'm joined just now by Steve Scrimshaw, head of UK and Ireland for Siemens Energy. Steve, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us today. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Excellent. So, I mean, just to kick us off then, we're kind of approaching the end of the conference now, the last few hours. What have been your key reflections and takeaways from from the last day and a half? Um, well, I was I was here last year when we had the conference, which was just after COVID, which was really interesting because I think there was this buzz about people coming together. Yeah. Um, I think this year you're seeing uh, people coming with all very similar themes about the pace of what we need to do things to achieve uh, net zero, uh, how the task ahead of us is very significant. And I think also some of the changes that have happened over the last sort of 18 months with some of the crisis around the world. Oh, and what you obviously on a panel session this morning. What were some of the key talking points and, and the messages you were trying to convey there? So I think on the on the panel this morning, we were talking about uh, trying to get to a net zero uh, grid by uh, 2035. And the, I think one of the big questions was, is it achievable? Yeah. Um, and I think the message that I took away was, um, you know, there's a lot of good things happening, um, you know, and, and everybody keeps talking about grid. You know, there can be no transition without transmission is one of the key phrases that we used. And I think that's all about the recognition now that it isn't just all about offshore wind. It's all about the grid connections as well. And everybody, you know, whether you're carbon capture, whether you've got hydrogen, whether you've got offshore wind, uh, new power plants, anybody wants to do anything, it all requires a grid connection. And I think the size of the challenge ahead of us is, is sort of better understood now. And you can see that from some of the discussions that we've had with the regulator and others that it's, a, it's appreciated and they need, to do so, they need to do something about it. Uh, there were some interesting questions come from the floor saying, you know, we were talking about this last year and what's moved in the past year. Um, I think from my perspective, I think the goalposts have moved significantly, right. meaning, you know, the energy security is a big issue after Ukraine and the, and the crisis. Um, not after Ukraine is still going on now. And I think people recognize that we need to do more. So I think a point I made in the speech this morning was we're now competing on a world stage rather than a UK stage. And everybody is looking at exactly the same sort of thing. So it's how do you compete in that market? And, and speak about the world stage there. Do you think, is the UK on something of a back foot currently? We've obviously got the Inflation Reduction Act in the US that a lot of people are talking about. The EU have kind of replicated with their answer to that. And a lot of people are waiting for the UK government to perhaps give their take on that as well. It, it, it seems like a, the US are going great guns on renewables and, and perhaps there's a risk we might get left behind. I think that is a, a real risk. I think, you know, I, I would have considered the UK as a leader in the in the energy transition space to decarbonise. You know, they've made great strides of what we've done, but because of these things like the Inflation Reduction Act, the European response to it, you're finding now that there is big incentives for people to do work there and to do it much quicker. So I, I don't think we, we can compete uh, as the UK on purely on subsidies and things like that. So I think uh, my ask would be that we compete on making things much easier to do here. At the moment, it's more complicated. So make it easier, more simpler, and removal of the red tape. And you heard in the conference this morning, a lot of the issues that people have is around the red tape yeah. and planning consents. And you know, it takes eight and a half years to get from thoughts to actually delivery of a, of a scheme or a system. So I think uh, the focus needs to move to say, how can we make the UK much simpler, you know, to, to try and compete with those big pulls in two different directions. How do we compete to make sure that we can do things simpler, quicker, faster? Yeah. And, it, and I think I raised this morning that, you know, as, as other markets evolve, 
then you're finding people are looking at standardized products, like for transmission products. Uh, you've got Tenet who are placing what they call convoy orders. Yeah. This is orders for multiple projects, not just one. And there's no variability of it. It's a bit like your Henry Ford, any color as long as it's black. And I think as a supplier into that industry, you know, you want to make repetition of, of product. And the more we can get closer to that, the better. And you mentioned that speeding up the planning. I mean, it's historically it would take 10, 15 years to build a wind farm. If you want to get to the targets that have been set, that's just, that's got to be sped up so much. And, and grid connection as well. Projects, there's hundreds of millions of pounds worth of projects that are waiting there, ready to go, but just can't, are waiting for an opportunity to, to hook into the grid. That's a real constraint as well. It is. It's a, it's a big constraint. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the auction rounds, auction round four, uh, that, that's sort of concluded not many have actually made it across the line to final investment decision. Okay, Bedrola made a decision a couple of weeks ago that they've, uh, they've launched, but you've got to think, since, since the round was uh, in effect, you know, prices have soared everywhere globally, commodity prices and commodity availability. And, you know, as a supplier in, you know, we, we own 98% of Siemens Gamesa renewable energy. Yeah. You know, these guys, all of the wind manufacturers are making huge losses around the world because of the cost of raw materials, how the supply chain got up and the cost of the inflation prices as well. Um, so that's a big issue, you know, for people to deliver on AR4 and AR5 is much better. I think it actually it's a worse scenario. So yeah. you've got a perfect storm there. So there's some real fundamental things here that need to be addressed if you want to connect up and achieve to, uh, net zero by 2035. On that inflation point, obviously as a turbine manufacturer, it's something you're acutely aware of and is like Vestas and everybody is. How do you kind of face up to that challenge? Because it, it's a... Uh, it's a big one and you can't make a bet that it will go away anytime soon, perhaps. Um, it, it is difficult. I mean, you, you, you know, we've got a um, facility in Hull. Um, yep. We've invested in a facility in Hull. Our, our sister company, Siemens Gamesa, has. And, um, you know, they made 2,000 blades from that factory from nothing and never didn't have any blades there before. And, and I think if we don't sort out some of the recovery of the pricing, you know, the, the prices need to go up. They cannot continue to go down. They are, they are actually lower than what they need at the moment. Yeah. So there needs to be some recognition of the supply chain pricing increases, some recognition of the inflation impact, and that needs to pass down to the supply chain. If you don't do that, then I'm not sure that you're going to have a, a successful wind business. Something needs to be done about it. And, you know, that's a constraint to further investment. Why, why would you invest in something that you're not making any money? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you wouldn't do it. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's a big challenge. You mentioned that facility in Hull there. It's kind of, I suppose, the, the long-held lament of the UK's offshore wind industry is that so little of the turbines spinning in UK waters were kind of constructed and built in the UK. But that blade facility in Hull is hopefully a along with many other facilities, going to be, going to be a change for that and, and has been. Is this how kind of receptive, I suppose, the local community being with jobs, with, with prosperity there? I mean, it's an amazing success story, Hull. If you, if you look, you know, people talk about the just transition of people moving from traditional industries, uh, maybe carbon intensive industries to low carbon industries. And I think Hull is a brilliant example of that, where I'm not saying that people weren't in carbon intensive industry, they're working in totally different industries. Yeah. And now we've got this huge workforce at Hull, we're recruiting more at the moment to, to build these blades. And that's a, an absolute success story. Um, on your previous point, I think the government do feel that the, some of the value that they've, uh, you know, they've, they've spurred on this market and some of the value has gone offshore. Um, okay, we're making big, every sort of focus around wind turbines and um, piles and things like that. Um, and I think the government do feel that value has gone offshore. 
they seem quite committed at the moment uh, with things like Green Jobs, Delivery Group, the Hydrogen Council, etc. to think as these nascent new uh, markets take off like hydrogen, yeah. energy storage, long duration energy storage, carbon capture and storage, then there's a desire to try and actually capture more of that supply chain in the UK. But again, uh, one, of the, one of my requests is to say, how, do we, how can we do this quicker to make sure we don't lose that advantage? Because once you get, if you've got a hydrogen economy, that's a nascent economy, and other countries and markets are developing it quicker and they're doing projects, that's where the investment will go. And ultimately, that's where the supply chain will go. Right. So we have a, I think we've got a unique opportunity to, to remain as a leader in this field. It's a very short space of time that we have open to that, otherwise we could lose that elsewhere. So I would urge the government and everybody around that to try and make this the best place to do business. Simpler, cutting red tape, etc. And then the supply chains will follow if you get projects away. Absolutely. And do you, Siemens Energy, looking to perhaps open up similar facilities? I remember writing a piece a couple of years ago about countries around the world clamoring for Siemens to open blade manufacturing and tower manufacturing facilities in their countries. But in the UK, is is that whole example perhaps something you'd look to take elsewhere as offshore wind scales up? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. I think there's always a list of people who want to actually have um, a facility. I mean, if you, if you see Hull, I, I was down there just the other day and saw the first of the 108 metre long blades that they're making. You know, These are 50 tonne blades that are going to be transporting the North Sea going on to this huge nacelle. Um, so it, it does take a lot of investment. I think you, you, we saw a market in the UK which allowed us to invest. And I think that's the key. You've got to see the market. You've got yeah. to see the policies, the economic framework that goes around it. And if you see that, then the conditions are right. You know, Siemens are not ashamed or Siemens Energy, just to be clear, we're not part of Siemens. Siemens Energy, you know, we're not afraid to do these sorts of things. We've done them elsewhere, but it has to make economic sense to do it. Yeah, excellent. I suppose, could you maybe cherry pick kind of two or three of the, the projects that you're working on, renewables projects in the UK that perhaps are, are leading or are particularly particularly of, of note? So I think one I would probably mention is the, it's called the Albra uh, Pathfinder project, which is, uh, it's, um, it's an electrolyzer which produces green hydrogen connected to renewable energy. It's then compressed and put into a salt cavern for storage. Uh, it comes out the salt cavern and then it goes through a small gas turbine which has been converted to burn 100% hydrogen. So we're in that process as part of the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund with uh, our customer, Scottish and Southern Energy. Um, but that is, that is a great example at a smaller scale of what's going to be needed uh, ultimately. So as you get the proliferation of uh, offshore wind, you'll have spillover wind. You can produce large volumes of green hydrogen. You want to go into a very long duration energy storage. These are stores that you will hold and you will only use the energy from that when you need it, when the wind isn't blowing, etc. And I don't, I'm not talking about this interday thing. I'm talking about, you know, where you like have this once or twice event every 40 years that you need this large volume. So that's one good example, which is the um, the Albra uh, hydrogen storage facility. Another one we're doing uh, in our Newcastle facility, we're doing a trial of an ammonia cracking um, facility. So this is um, as you you can as you see hydrogen transported around the, the roads in these red tube trailers, you get probably half a kilogram on, on them. Yeah. You could probably transport ten times the volume of hydrogen in ammonia. And then if you can crack ammonia back into uh, you know hydrogen, nitrogen, then you can get a lot more volume and it's a lot safer to transport. So we're doing a, a test of a, a very small scale of actually doing an ammonia cracking demonstrator. So you could potentially in the markets going forward see 
ammonia being transported in maybe from sunnier climes and then being cracked in the country and then use uh, hydrogen and then the nitrogen uses fertilizer. In terms of that hydrogen piece and perhaps skills and people, how applicable is that to those perhaps working oil and gas currently? And is there a big crossover there for, because there'll be thousands of workers who in the oil and gas sector who will be looking for opportunities in renewables? Um, yes, I'm convinced. I mean, people talk about this just transition. Uh, I'm convinced that uh, it's, a, it's, an, it's a transfer of skills. Yeah. I don't think it's new skills. If you look at the wind business in the UK, it was brand new. And then we've got this model for delivering large volumes of skilled people to actually work on them. I think if you look at the oil and gas industry, what, what's different with a hydrogen plant? You know, it's, it's pumps, valves, it's meters, it's coolers, it's whatever it might be. It's yeah. all similar sort of stuff. There is a, the chemistry is different and things like that, but if you're handling methane, I'm sure with a bit of uh, alternative skills, you can handle hydrogen. Um, I'll give you another example, our Newcastle facility that we have, we used to make large power stations there, coal-fired power stations, you know, steam turbine generators. And as that market has declined, we've actually transferred a lot of people uh, skills. We've got a, uh, a relationship with a company called Geopura and we're making hydrogen power units in the facility in Newcastle. So we've, right. got, we've got an order book of 40 of them now. And these are people who would have made steam turbines and are now making and assembling hydrogen power units. So it's very doable. I think it's the scale that's going to be the issue. As we get to the volumes that we're talking about, you know, there is a real push to get more skills in. So I think you'll transition people across upskilling but you'll have to get new entrance into the industry um, and, and I hope that the industry can attract people, youngsters etc because these are not just project jobs, these are career jobs uh, for life. And on that scale point I think that leads to my next question about ports and harbours in the UK because yeah. that seems like a real bottleneck waiting to happen. It is absolutely and, the, and I think everybody, there's, there's some studies being done in terms of the number of ports that you need to, to have so you know one can't go without the other. It's, it's, a, it's an integrated system this so you, you have to have bigger port facilities, you have to have more of them. Uh, you know it goes along with my comments on grid so ports are really really important to actually enable that as well. Excellent. And I was wondering if you could tell us a wee bit about the, the project with SIPEM on the, uh, is it floating substations? I, I wrote about that a couple of years ago, but it, it seems like a particularly in interesting one. I or? would love to tell you about it, but unfortunately, I'm going to be very honest, I don't know about it. Okay, no worries. <laughs> but we are, but we are um, with Siemens Gamesa, they are looking at floating wind. As you, as you get further offshore with um, the issue with uh, sort of deeper waters, then you have to go to floating technologies. There, there has been some talk about like having floating offshore transformer modules and things like that, but um, I just honestly don't have the detail. Oh, that's not a problem at all. And looking at the carbon capture and storage space, is this something that Siemens Energy is actively in, is, is looking at opportunities in? Sure, we're in involved in two uh, carbon capture and storage projects in the UK. One is at Keed B3, uh, which didn't get through on the uh, Humber, because the Humber um, um, cluster didn't get through in the first round. Yeah. Uh, we are working as one of a, in the competition on BP at side for net zero at side. Yeah. So we've got collaboration partners, we've got Acker Solutions and Acker Carbon Capture who are working on the carbon capture plant. We're working with Acker, um, sorry, uh, Altrad Babcock, used to be Dusan Babcock, uh, for doing all the sort of build side and Siemens Energy are providing the power plant uh, and the control system for that. So we're actively involved in two very big projects at the moment. Fantastic. It's just about all we've got time for, Steve, but I just want looking for one kind of final question as we approach the end of all energy here. If there was one key kind of talking point takeaway that you would like somebody to, to leave the conference with, what would it, what would it be? That's a very difficult one. I, I think collaboration. Um, nobody can do this on their own. Uh, I say that at Siemens Energy, we've got to, we, we, we're in the whole energy value chain, but we can't do it all on our own. You need to have collaboration like you've never seen before. So I would say collaboration. 
Excellent. That's a, a good one and a nice point to leave on it. So thanks very much for your time, Steve. That was fascinating. Really great insight to, to Siemens and the, many of the challenges, but also opportunities facing the, the renewable sector in the UK. So thanks again, Steve. And yeah, for all the, to keep up to date with all the news from All Energy, make sure to check into Energy Voice and SG Voice. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.